Good morning again. How are we all doing this morning? How's the weather? Too hot or nice enough? Ooh, a bit of a mixed, mixed bag. Like, uh, like Tony said before, it's, uh, yeah, I'm absolutely with you. It's too hot. It might be 40-something degrees at home for us, but everything is air-conditioned, so you never really spend much time outside uh, in the summer. Uh, so again, as, as Tony said before, my name is James. I uh, grew up in Bradford, and now we live and we serve in Bahrain. Uh, really, really grateful to be invited to be here this morning. Thanks to Tony and to Pastor Phil. And it's a, a, bit of a, a bit of a gamble. It's a bit of an unknown when you invite somebody in to speak, especially at the, the Sunday morning service. So I don't know whether I should apologize in advance. <laughs> or... Yeah. <laughs> don't see that. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I should apologize in advance and guarantee to not be invited back next year, but I'm very grateful to be asked and, uh, yeah, appreciate the opportunity. So then uh, at times in our life, we sometimes need to make a step forward, take a step out in faith, and uh, this is often the times when we're moving forward, we're making a big step. Maybe you're moving overseas like we did a few years ago, maybe having a baby like we did a couple of years ago. When these kind of things happen, that's when we need to take a big step in faith, isn't it? But often that's when we feel the most kind of fear, because fear and faith are so close together, aren't they? That we, can, we can't be full of faith and full of fear. We can feel a little bit of fear and still act in faith, but we can't be full of one if we want to be full of the other. So... What can we do then to overcome this very natural, this very human feeling of fear when we need to take a step forward in our faith, in our life? What can, what can we do? Uh, where can we look for inspiration or hope or confidence? And that's exactly what uh, Joshua chapter 4 uh, is going to talk about this morning. Uh, as, again, as we talked about already, I feel like I'm repeating myself too many times already. As we talked about, uh, we live and we serve in Bahrain. Uh, I'm going to be really honest, not many people could point to it on a map. Uh, and I think without our family history, I don't think I could have done either, and that's fine. So we live and we serve in Bahrain, and uh, while it's a majority Muslim country with a Muslim government and everything that that brings with it, there is uh, a rich Christian heritage there uh, that really gives us hope for the country uh, in, in the future and in, and in the now that fills us with confidence that God is at work in our really, really small island uh, there used to be, uh, so I'm reliably informed, a Christian convent uh, for nuns, and there still is to this day a Christian cemetery, which uh, a few of the churches, ours included, um, contribute to, uh, to the maintenance of. Buried in that cemetery, uh, sadly, are two children of a man named Samuel Zweimer. Um, we'll talk much more about him and his legacy later in the evening service. Uh, he was instrumental in the Arabian mission as it was known at the time. The, the Arabian mission turned into being called the American mission. Uh, it was a big part and is a big part of that Christian heritage in Bahrain. And something, again, we'll talk about much, uh, much more in the evening service. Uh, the picture here that we can see, where are we? The picture here we can see, well, that's a rock. There's a picture of a school uh, from around 1902. I promise, I'll put it there myself. Didn't take it, because I'm not that old. But there's a picture of a school uh, from around 1902, now called El Rajar School, uh, which is a place that I worked at for a couple of years. Uh, it was founded 
and uh, that was founded and run and is still being run as a Christian school in a Muslim country. And when you think about it, it just, it just shouldn't be. But it's such a, a well-loved place, it's such a well-respected place because of the Christian ethos uh, and, uh, and the way it's run. And there is a picture, I promise, from around 1902. Anyway, these things, these memorials, these, these buildings and these uh, things allow us as believers to look back and to see what God has done in the past, to draw confidence out of them and to take a sense of inspiration and hope uh, for the future from them, to push onwards in the work that God has called us to do uh, in the here and in the now. So today then, uh, Joshua chapter 4, and we'll see what we can do when we need to take a step forward in our faith, in our life, when we need to move forward with anything. Where can we look for inspiration, hope, or confidence? It's a really nice picture. There it is. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so this is, uh, I think it was called the Acorn School uh, in 1902 that kind of transformed itself into El Rajar schools. It grew, 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 and uh, a very big part of the rich Christian legacy. Anyway then, Joshua chapter 4. First then, the first thing we can do if we need to make a step forward in faith and in life, the first thing we can do is to look back and to see what God has said. Uh, let's read again verses, uh, verses 1 to 3 of Joshua chapter 4. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe of men, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. And I read as well, verses 15 and 16. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. First thing we can do then if we need to take a step forward in faith and in life is we can look back and we can see what God has said. Here in Joshua 4, we can see God giving some very, very clear instructions to people. It's very specific things. Not that we need to start carrying stones around just on the off chance that God instructs us to build a memorial, but the principle. So here then, God is speaking to Joshua, and then he speaks to the waters of the Jordan. Initially then, God tells Joshua to tell the people to take 12 stones out of the Jordan, and that's all for now. So there's nothing much there, is there? So, think a, think a moment. Do you ever feel like that God has told you to do something, or to stop doing something, but there's no explicit reason attached. Anybody ever experienced that? You feel like God's telling you to do something and you just don't know why. Maybe you can't see the reason at the time. Well, that's the case here, isn't it? Take some stones out of the river and that's it. So when things like this happen, that's just when we need to trust that he knows best. We need to trust that God's plan is already in action. Amen? Are we awake? That God's plan is already in action. Amen? Amen. 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 Same, same. Uh, so God gives the big picture here then. Take the stones out of the river and then Joshua adds the finer points to build a memorial. God and men working together to achieve God's purposes is brilliant, no? Could God have done this all by himself? Sure. 
But does he want to involve us as a loving father? Yeah, absolutely. Again, then in verses 15 to 18, God speaks. Joshua passes on God's message. And then God allows the waters to resume their normal course. Didn't say why, did he? He just said, get out of the water. Or get out of where the water should be. Didn't tell them why at the time. Luckily for us then, we can look back on what God has said and see what happened. But sometimes we're not so lucky, are we? We need to act before we can see uh, anything, see anything at all. But we can always take comfort from the fact that he does know what is coming. And he does know why he is asking us to move. Amen? Absolutely. This isn't an isolated incident, is it? God speaking to us and us being able to look back and see what happened and say, wow, that was cool. He actually did what he said he was going to do. If you think about uh, Genesis chapter 9, never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said this and it's not happened. When we see that rainbow, we can look back to what God said and to what he did. So we can look back on what God has said, but we can also look back on what God has said through some people. Uh, Let's read again chapter 4, verses 4 to 7 this time. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you, should, or you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So it's the same thing really. We can look back and see what God has said through people. Look back to the message that God gave through somebody and we can take hope and inspiration and confidence and all that good stuff for the future. Maybe, maybe you had a person like that in your life. Maybe you're privileged enough to be that person for somebody else. What a wonderful thing it is to have a person like that in your life. But what a huge privilege it is to be used of God like that, to pass on to somebody something really, really important. So why do we do this then? Why do we look back to see what God has said? Well, basically, because God wants us to remember. Some people were across. How many people were in across this morning? Yeah, me and you, sister. <laughs> Good. Some people were across. Some people get a tattoo. I'll not ask for hands. With some ner- very nervous laughs. Some people were across. Some people get a tattoo, some people hang verses on the wall at home. But it's all the same thing, isn't it? God wants us to remember. Do you know, honestly, hand on heart, I had no idea that we were going to do communion this morning. Uh, but if you think back to Luke twenty-two nineteen, do this in remembrance of me. And again, Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians. So if you've got your Bible with you, or if you're scrolling along on your phone, uh, let's turn forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 should be about 90% of the way through the book in the New Testament after the Gospels, Acts and Romans. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11. What a lovely sound that is, all those Bible pages moving along. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11 
and uh, we'll pick it up in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I had no idea there was communion this morning. What a beautiful uh, God incidence. The way these, uh, these two verses and the, the, the verse in Luke are written uh, grammatically, we understand that Jesus intends this to be an ongoing thing. Do this in remembrance of him is not a one-time thing. We don't take communion once in our life and that's it. It should be an ongoing thing to remember him. Sometimes uh, words aren't enough though, are they? For us to remember how many people, show of hands, would say that they've got an excellent memory? Nobody, wow. Nobody's got an excellent memory. Wow. A very honest, <laughs> very honest bunch of people. Uh, sometimes we need, uh, we need a little prompting, don't we? Something physical, maybe. Help from another person, something to look at or to, to touch, to see around the house. I heard a story about a guy who uh, had a really horrible memory. Actually, maybe he's, maybe he's here if nobody's put that in for a good one. Uh, I heard a story about a guy, horrible memory. One day he ran into a friend and uh, he'd not seen his friend in a long time. When he, he greeted his friend, he said, Bill, that's the friend, Bill, do you remember what a bad memory I had? And Bill said, yeah, I certainly do. And our guy said, well, it's not that bad anymore. He said, it's not that bad anymore. I went on a course, and they taught us how to remember things. Got a picture of Bill and his friend. Uh, I went on a great seminar. I took a class in how to improve my memory. It's wonderful. And Bill said, oh, that's great. What was the name of the course? Well, our guy says, he says, wait a minute. My wife went with me. Let me just double check with my wife. So he looks around. He sees his wife. He turns back to Bill, and he says, uh, what's the name of the flower? with the long stem and the thorns and the red petals. And Bill says, do you mean a rose? And our guy says, sure. And he says, Rose, come here. <laughs> Tell me what was the name of the class that we took. Yeah. So sometimes our memory fails us, doesn't it? Maybe you leave your car keys in a certain place so you can't walk past them on a the morning. Maybe you, uh, you leave those reusable shopping bags in the boot of your car so you can't go shopping without them. Just Quick FYI, absolutely not a thing in Bahrain. We could absolutely decorate this room in the carrier bags that we get every time we go to the supermarket. It's like one bag per item sometimes. But maybe you do these things so you can't forget. Something physical to look at, to touch, and to remember with. So help from other people is good, uh, like Bill and his friend. And, uh, but even better sometimes is a practical, physical, tangible reminder from the past, isn't it? So on the very, very rare occasions that I wear a tie, I like to pair it with a ruby tie pin uh, that belonged to my granddad. I wear it because it was, it was his, because I loved him as my granddad, and because if I'm wearing a tie, maybe once or twice in the year, I'm in a place where I need to remember my manners, need to be on my best behavior, do you know what I mean? If you're going to wear a tie, then you're somewhere where you need to wear a tie. And if you're somewhere where you need a tie, you need to be polite. 
so then, as you would be, when you, if your granddad's there, you're not going to be uh, talking like you're talking with your friends, are you? So for me, that's a practical, physical, tangible reminder that I can look at and see and touch. And I can think, wow, if my granddad was standing here, would I say that? Or would he say that? So that's a really physical thing that I can look at and see and remember, and it informs how I act in the future. So we need to look back on what God has said, but maybe even more importantly is that we look back on what God has done, the physical things. Uh, let's read a few more verses from Joshua 4, uh, verses 8 to 14. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up the 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. So we need to look back on what God has said, but maybe even more importantly, we look back on what God has done. In this chapter then, Joshua 4, and in chapter 3, God stops the water from flowing, doesn't he? As he said that he would, so that people can pass safely as on dry ground. He does this to show the people he was with Joshua, as he was with Moses. He does this to show them that he was with them and that he would drive out the people before them on their journey. So again, he's doing this, God is doing this, that people may know that they can remember him, and they can remember what he's done. Elsewhere in the Bible, we would probably think about the same thing, wouldn't we? The big thing that God has done that we can look back on to draw hope and confidence for the future. We would probably think about the same thing. We would probably think back to the resurrection. In the middle part of the book of Acts, Paul is giving just the, the briefest panorama of history. And uh, in Acts 17, 31, he, he says, basically, look, Jesus has been appointed righteous judge of all, and to prove that he is the guy, God raised him from the dead. Nobody ever has been resurrected other than Jesus, right? Looking for some nods, some amens. Amen. We're all on the same kind of core page of our faith. Nobody's ever been resurrected other than Jesus. Amen? Amen? Yes. Maybe you think about Lazarus in John chapter 11. Great story. One of my absolute favorite in the Bible. Uh, lots to take out of it. On a quick side note, though, Lazarus was resuscitated, not resurrected. Lazarus came out of the grave wearing his grave cloths and clothes, didn't he? probably looking like a mummy. And Jesus left his all neat and folded on that slab. Do you know why? Because Lazarus would and did need those again. He went on to become a bishop of Cyprus. There's a beautiful church in Larnaca where his tomb is. You can go under the church 
And uh, you can see it. And on the side, it's engraved, Lazarus, friend of Jesus, which is pretty cool. But he went there and he died. He needed those grave clothes again. But Jesus didn't, did he? He left them on that slab. Lazarus was resuscitated and Jesus was resurrected. Lazarus is now dead, but Jesus is now alive. Amen? Yes. So then as, as new covenant believers, we're so fortunate that we can look back to the cross and to see what happened. We can look back to the cross and believe and look back to the cross and take hope for the future. That we have a living saviour who's overcome death. Again, I love it when the worship songs and the message match. No idea what people are going to sing this morning. We've got a, a living saviour who sits at the right hand of the Father. Job done, sitting down to make intercession for us, basically to get involved on our behalf. Who then sent the Holy Spirit in his place to help us. We're so fortunate to live now, not in the midst of this. If we lived here in Joshua 4, the time of Joshua... The events like this where God moved supernaturally would have been fewer and further between and we would have needed to look ahead with hope and with faith that one day God would come and put things right. But now for us, we're so lucky to live when we can read the whole counsel of the book from the start of the world to the end of the world and say, wow, this stuff happened. And then... We choose what to do with it. First comes knowledge. We know it happened. Nobody's ever found anything to disprove what happens in the Bible. And it's usually a fake if, if they claim that they do. We know it happens. We know it happened. So we know. Then comes the responsibility. Now we ought to do something with this. How does this ultimate truth change our lives? Then at the end comes accountability. The Bible says that as believers in Jesus will stand before God and be viewed as righteous. He will look at us through the lens of Jesus and declare us good enough. And that's what he's done. At the end of all, this is well talking about the resurrection, why it all happened. We could absolutely put in verse 24 of Joshua 4, couldn't we? Absolutely fits here. Why did God raise Jesus? So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. God raised Jesus from the dead so that all peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. As with everything God does, really, here and everywhere else in this wonderful book, the aim is to turn people to him through Jesus Christ, for them to give their hearts and their minds and their souls, their whole lives, to him. Do you know, I read something else that I can't, I can't remember where. And it said, you know, the Bible is so, the Bible's so cryptic and the, it's, all so, it's, it's all so strange. Wouldn't it be better if God just came to earth and showed us what he wants? Wouldn't it be good if God, if God is real, if he came and showed us with a real life? And he just, what do you say? Because he did, didn't he? So we need to look back on what he said. We need to look back on what he did. And we also then, for our lives, we need to look back and then press on. Look back when we've got changes to make and push forward. 
I'm going to read a few verses again. Uh, first, verses 5 to 7, and then 21 to 24. So verses 5 to 7, And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Lord, uh, sorry, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the same again in verses 21 to 24. And he said to the people of Israel, Joshua talking again, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. It's really, really important in the midst of this chapter, we see in verses 19 and 20 that when they pass over, the first thing Joshua does is to set a memorial when they get to Gilgal, getting those priorities right. And Gilgal became a base camp for the future operations, which I'm sure that you'll get to in a couple of weeks. So then, why are we stacking rocks? Some people think that that's a bit new age and a bit funky and a bit weird. So why are we stacking big rocks? Because sometimes we forget what was said, don't we? Sometimes we can even forget what was done. This is the generation after those who were brought out of Egypt. So we can forget what was said and we can forget what was done. And it can be easier to have something to look at, kind of to look for. Wearing that tie pin reminds me to mind my manners if I'm wearing a tie somewhere. Just remembering information is hard. Nobody said they've got an excellent memory. Apparently, if you're talking to somebody with no visual aids, apparently they remember about 10% of what was said. If you've got something to look at, something for people to do, to touch, to remember with the words, it rises to about 85% of stuff that you remember. So why are we stacking rocks? The crux of it, absolutely, is in verses 6 and 7, and then again 21 to 24. But verse 24 especially, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So why are we stacking rocks? Because they're a point of contact for our faith. There's something physical to look at and to remember. Why are those rocks there? I want you to take a moment and think. Now I know thinking in church is all right. The Bible says we should think when we hear this kind of stuff. So take a moment and think. These rocks are a, a memorial. These rocks are a point of contact for God's wonderful deeds in the past. What are your points of contact in the past. Maybe you don't have 12 rocks in your garden at home because you didn't cross the Jordan on dry ground, and that's fine. But what are your points in the past? These rocks as well are a point of contact with God's work in the past. So again, think, what are yours? 
What do you have in your life that reminds you of the wonderful work that God has done? We read in verse 6 and in verse 21, when your children ask. So again, more thinking, what are you leaving for children or grandchildren? It doesn't have to be a type-in. It can be anything. What do they see on you or in you or around you that makes them want to ask, makes them want to think and wonder about you? What is it about this person? Is it your character or your lifestyle, your possessions, how you use all that God has given you, how you go through life? Our children, your children and my children and their children after that will look to us as a point of faith, as a point of contact with God's work in the past. They absolutely will, whether you want them to or not, and they'll often look when you don't want them to look. But that's when it's the most important. So think again, what are they going to see when they look at you? Are they going to see somebody who knew all about Jesus, who he was, what he did, but never did anything about it? Are they going to see somebody who drew on their own points of faith, brought that into the now, and left something for them as well? Who really made progress down that discipleship path that we're all on, and we're all at a slightly different point, and that's fine. Someone who makes God's amazing power and work clear to the next generation, as Joshua did here, by setting up this memorial. This absolutely will happen. People, younger people, maybe not your children, will look at you and look to you to look, to see, to evaluate, to judge. Is this church life thing, is it worth doing? Is it something that I want to do? I see you going to church for a couple of hours a week, but do I see the result of it? Which is not Friday, is it? We would see the result of it Monday, the rest of the weekdays. Do we see anything other than this two hours a week? And maybe you're sitting and you think, well, I don't have children, so I'm not really listening. Or I'm too young, shouldn't have children, not really listening. But it's all right to go to those people who are a little bit more mature in years, a little bit more life experience, and it's all right to ask them, it's all right to ask anybody, tell me, please, be polite with the pin, tell me, please, what God has done in your life. The Bible is so clear in Revelation chapter 12, and again, as a quick side note, what a fantastic book, Revelation. Lots of people are so scared of Revelation. It's a very different uh, genre of writing, different style of writing, but fantastic book. The Bible is so clear in Revelation chapter 12 that we have victory over the devil by the blood of Jesus and the power of our testimony. So by asking people to share with you, you are doing a wonderful thing. By sharing with somebody, you are doing a wonderful thing. You're putting down a memorial. It doesn't have to be 12 rocks. That was for these people at this time. You don't need to go home with rocks from your garden and make a 12. It's just we are not these people. But by sharing testimony, by telling people what God has done in your life, you're putting down a memorial for others to look back on. And you're helping them to know the truth about our great God. Amen? 
Because ours is a faith that does something, isn't it? How many people, maybe you don't want to admit this, how many people know who SpongeBob SquarePants is? Yes, again. <laughs> how many, show me again, sorry, I was too busy looking. How many people SpongeBob SquarePants? Good. If you don't know SpongeBob SquarePants is, he's a big sponge. And he wears square trousers. Uh, he's a big square rectangle shaped thing. Big uh, mathematical word for a large rectangular shape. Tiny, tiny arms. Do you know why he's got tiny arms? Because he doesn't do anything with his arms. So if we don't do anything with our faith, we become SpongeBob Christians. Big head, full of knowledge, with tiny, tiny arms. Because we don't do anything. The Bible is really clear in James that our faith is seen through works. We do things with our faith. Ours is a faith that does things. Amen? Mm, absolutely. So I would confidently say, having known everybody here for about 35 minutes now, that everyone in this room has heard at least one person's testimony and thought, wow, God did a work in that person. Maybe that's you. Maybe not. Am I right? Have we all heard that one testimony and you think, wow, you probably shouldn't be here. You should be living somewhere with iron bars on the wall. And it's a wonderful thing to listen to the work that God has done in people. If not, if you've never heard somebody share, go and ask somebody. Go and share with somebody. Pray and ask God, who needs to hear this? Who can I share with? Just be polite when you do it. Don't go and grab somebody. The Lord told me to share with your brother. And like you sit them down for 35 minutes and they can't leave. Just be polite. But it's all right to ask. It's all right to share. It's a great thing to share. And we should know that we are going to be that point of contact with the past for someone, whether we want to be or not. Maybe you already are. Everybody swinging a child car seat, you already are. Everybody with teens that left, already are. And then really we should feel the responsibility of this, shouldn't we? It's not a passive thing. I don't wear that type in because my granddad never spoke to me, never did anything for me, or never exemplified anything to me. It's an active process. So it's a responsibility that we've all got. So we must look back, and then we must push on. We must, must, must be prepared to be that point of contact with God's mighty work in the past. We must look back when we're preparing to take a step forward to see the mighty works God has done. Then we push on full of confidence, hope, trust for the future as these people did in the wonderful stories that are coming in the next couple of weeks about these people. What we are all pushing for will be very, very different, won't it? And that's all right. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's that next level of commitment in a relationship that you're in. Maybe it's putting something to death in our lives that the Bible says really we shouldn't have anything to do with. Whatever it is, for all of us, we can look back to the wonderful things that God has said, that God has said through others, and that God has done in order that we can push forward, make that step. When we do look back, it's really important that we look back with a clear view. We don't reminisce and wish we were still living in the past. And we don't look back and feel so much regret 
that we're paralyzed and we can't do anything now. There's a pastor and a writer called Dr. Warren Vizaby, and he said this. He said, do not say, why were the former days better than these? You do not move ahead by constantly looking in a rearview mirror. The past is a rudder to guide you, not an anchor to drag you. We must learn from the past, but not live in the past. So, to the original readers and people in this chapter, Joshua chapter 4 shows us that God performs supernatural acts so that all the peoples of the earth should know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and is to be feared. As Christians, then, we can look back on these supernatural acts and draw hope for the future. For us, then, we shouldn't forget what God has done. We should look back and we should push on with that next step, whatever it is for all of us in our own lives. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father God, we, uh, we assemble this morning as a body of believers and we stand before you and say that we're grateful, we thank you, and that we love you for who you are and for all that you have done, all that you do and all that you will continue to do in our lives and the lives around us. Father, we stand and we ask forgiveness for times when we've forgotten your wonderful, mighty works in the past, when we've tried to uh, forge ahead under our own power, under our own steam, and we, yeah, we ask forgiveness for these times. Father, we thank you that you've placed these wonderful memorials and mighty works and just awesome people in our lives that we can look back to and draw from and, and really push ahead with. Father, we stand and we pray that you ask us to always have a clear view looking back that we can leave today changed as a result of, uh, of, of being with, with other believers from worshipping you, from, from reading your word. We pray that uh, all our lives, first and foremost, glorify you, that we can be uh, a wonderful clay jar, just letting the love of Jesus shine out wherever we go. Father, we love you. We praise you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.